Good morning, everyone. Another beautiful day God has given us. For those that are sitting close, you may be able to see that Roman numeral through the backside. That's a nine. Nine pages of notes. You're going to be out of here about 1230 today. (laughs) I was just joking. I tried something different this time. I went to a much bigger font. So that maybe I don't have to wear my cheater glasses because they distract me. I'm here this morning to help you understand better a few terms you've already heard and to actually throw out a few more new terms uh, and put them into a context of what they're going to mean to us as a church over the next 10, 11, 12 months. So basically, I know you've heard the pastor say it. I know you've heard Dan Omer say it, talking about secession planning that the LBA has been involved in for about five years. So the first thing we're going to cover this morning is what is secession planning? It's really probably the best way to describe it for you is to help you participate a little bit. Would everyone that's in here that is a parent, step-parent, grandparent or step-grandparent, raise your hand and keep them up. Look around the room, everybody. Okay, you can put them down. You're all doing secession planning. What you're doing is preparing the next generation to take over. And that's all succession planning is at its base. Now, it does have some variables to it. When you're talking succession planning in a business, it is very task-oriented. People that are on the succession plan need to be able to perform the task at the next level in the organization. In a family, it's actually based on love. Your succession planning is based on the love you have for your children and your grandchildren. Well, in a church, it's a little different even more than that. Within the church, succession planning is a very spiritual decision. And by that I mean we have to go to a depth of understanding about why we exist as a church so that we can explain it to a potential pastor to see if they are in fact called to that need. Now I just introduced a new word, called. And we're going to get into that in a minute with a little more explanation. Uh, no, I, I'll, I'll, I'll get into it right now. Being called is when God touches your heart to do something. Uh, I'll share with you my calling. Uh, shortly after I accepted Christ as my Savior and asked God to take control of my life, He put a heavy burden on my heart. And that burden was to be, to be and to do everything I could possibly do to help create a church that would always be there to serve my family. Now, I've got to tell you, at the point in time when I accepted Christ, my wife belonged to this church. All of my daughters were attending this church. Some of them belonged to it already. They were members of the church. I wasn't a member of the church. So what I did was ask pastor to baptize me, ask the pastor to consider me for membership, 
And then I offered to serve in any capacity that I could where help was needed. And believe me, over the last number of years that I've forgotten, I've done just about everything within this church. I swept these carpets Friday. <laughs> I've mowed grass. I've worked on the building. I've served on the board. Uh, I helped build the, the storage building out back. Uh, and none of it was I really qualified. I've, I've served in the classrooms. Believe that? I don't. <laughs> with the preschoolers. I don't believe that either because I am not real good with small children. But when God calls us, he isn't asking us to use our talents. What he's going to do is give us the skill to do whatever he's called us to do. And that's all a calling is, is that God has reached out and asked us to do something. My calling has stayed the same for all of my life. It's not true of all people. Sometimes it varies and changes. Uh, a calling may be as simple as, ta- as caring for elderly parents or doing community work. I mean, it, it's what God asks you to do. So that's calling, and we're going to get into that quite a bit more in depth. Moses and Joshua, I want, I want to look at two examples of secession planning in Scripture. Moses and Joshua are one example, and they're a little bit different than the second example. Uh, Moses had 40 years to prepare Joshua to lead the nation of Israel. And he needed that long because it was a complex task that he was going to have to ask Joshua to do and that God was going to call Joshua to do. He started off with uh, minor things. He had Joshua carry messages for him. Joshua was originally a stonemason in Egypt as a slave, so he wasn't really skilled at all those things that he needed to be skilled at. So, jo- so Moses needed to develop him along the way. He used him as a spy when they first entered the, the, the uh, promised land 40 years before they finally conquered it. And uh, Joshua and Caleb were two of the spies that came back and said, this place is great. God assured us we can take it. Let's go do it. The other 10 spies were weak need. They come back, oh, it's giants. You know, they'll kill us all. We can't do it. Because of that, they were sent to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. During that 40 years, Joshua kept creeping up in his role and his responsibilities. He got to the point where he was actually leading their warriors in battle. At this point in time, Moses had been disobedient to God. So God told him, you're not going to enter the promised land. That's going to be for your successors. No one except for Joshua and Caleb, two members of that generation, were all that were allowed to enter the promised land. Everybody else died off, including Moses. Now, I found three examples in Scripture where God told Joshua three different times, be strong and courageous. Have strength and courage. Because he understood what he was going to call Joshua to do. Moses, all he had to do was lead people around the desert and fight an occasional tribe. Joshua was going to be required to conquer the promised lands. Constant battle. Warfare 24-7, week after week after week after week. And because of that, he needed to be courageous. He needed to be strong. Because he was the one that was going to provide the leadership for those people. 
Now, I found many places where Moses had told Joshua, love the Lord your God and obey him in all things. That's what he was charging Joshua with, obedience to God. Joshua had already demonstrated tremendous obedience to God. He was noted for his obedience to God, whereas Moses slipped. (laughs) So because of that, when they reached the River Jordan right across over, God instructed Moses, lay your hands on Joshua and pass on the mantle of leadership to him and you will remain here and die. So he did. Put his hands on Joshua, passed on the mantle of leadership. And at that point in time, God called Moses, called Joshua, to be the leader of the Israelites. He was called to do that for the rest of his life. Now, how good a job do you think he did? Well, Joshua summed it up best at the end of his life as he was challenging the nation of Israel to remain obedient to God. He summed up his life in one short statement. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Not once in scripture can I find a place where Joshua was disobedient to God's direction. He even killed some of his most trusted advisors because they had failed to carry out God's instructions properly. It's been a tough thing for a leader to do. Some of your most trusted subordinates take their lives because they were disobedient. See, in this instance, secession planning was an instance of someone trying to prepare a leader to be greater than they were because Joshua was faced with more challenge. The next example I'd like to look at is Christ and his disciples. Now, Christ only had three years. He didn't have 40 years. He had to take 12 total strangers and convert them into disciples who would be able to carry on his ministry because he knew he was destined to die on the cross, rise again, and ascend back to heaven. So he had to prepare those 12 people. One of them went out on him, but he was replaced, so there were still 12 of them. I think we can best sum up His charge to those three people, because I repound it repeatedly through all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a number of times where Christ told them the same three things. And those three things were, My commandment, love each other as I have loved you. We could actually call that a core value, if you want to. Another new term I just throwed at you. The second verse... As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. This was Christ's vision of how his disciples were going to carry out that core value and that vision. And the third one, go into the world and preach the good news to everyone. That was their mission, their vision, and their core values all lumped together in three short verses. Told them what they were supposed to become, told them how they were going to do it or what they were going to do and how to do what they were going to do. We've got to get deeply into this as a church because over the next months, we need to help the Board of Administration understand what are the core values, the mission, and the vision 
of our church for the future. We know what it was for the past. I'll read it to you here in a second. But is it going to be different in the future? Does it need to be enhanced, modified? So because of that, over the coming months, the LBA hasn't worked out the mechanics of it yet, but they have to speak and listen to every one of you sitting in this room. They need that input to put those documents together that will define what our church is going to be for the next five to ten years, and then what kind of a pastor we need that is called to do those same things so that we can do a match. We need a pastor who believes the same core values, the same vision, the same mission as what we do. If we got this kind of a a match, guess what? That's a fist. (laughs) It will be problems. We need that kind of match, a mirror image. And our plans are, the LBA's plans are, to come as close as possible to that mirror image. But they can only do that with your help, your prayer, your contribution in terms of speaking up to them, their plans to meet with all of you and find, find, get that information from you and then, and then put that into documents. And we would actually like, as the LBA has set a date of March 29th to start on that, those documents. Tomorrow night, the LBA is meeting to deal with church history because you do have to give a, a candidate some idea of what your church has gone through the last 45 years. But that's factual stuff and easy to do because the pastor has kept a really good record. <laughs> So we can uh, we can work from his record to a large degree, and he's going to be there to help us. The 29th, the LB is going to be there without the pastor because they're the ones that have to gather all this information from you and turn it into meaningful documents that can be used in our search for a new pastor. Going back for just a minute to Christ and his disciples. That was an example of succession planning where someone tried to clone themselves. Christ wanted 12 disciples to be as close to him in ability and dedication and, 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 and work as he was. Now, knowing he was divine, they couldn't get there. But he got them awfully close. We're told by church tradition that 11 of the 12 disciples died as martyrs. In other words, they gave their lives just as Christ did for the for the mission of salvation for everyone. Now, you can ask yourself, we know how successful Joshua was in conquering the promised land. He literally took it. How successful were those 12 disciples? You can answer that by looking around this room. And thinking about all the churches that have people sitting in them this morning. Twelve people brought about the transformation, the salvation of millions, millions over the last 2,000 years. At one point, not too long ago, Christianity was the largest numerical religion in the world. I'm not sure it is any longer. We're in that post-Christian era now and uh, people claim to be Christian and aren't. But were they successful? <laughs> I believe they were very successful. Touching our past just for a moment. 
again, dealing with calling. Forty-five years ago, Pastor Steve and Diana were called by God to come to Beth, come to Albion, start a new church that would become something. Now, were they successful? I would say so from my standpoint. I was baptized by our pastor. My daughters were all married by our pastor. My grandchildren were all dedicated by our pastor, all nine of them. The pastor did my wife's funeral service. The pastor married my oldest grandson last summer. He served three generations of my family. And I know there's people in this room can tell you the same story. Was he successful? I, I'm absolutely confident that the pastor and Diana, all they're going to hear from God is, well done, good and faithful servant. One last question for you. And I'll read this to you. On the door going into the children's wing, our church vision is on, is on the window. And I want to read that to you. So listen carefully. I, I, I wasn't able to get a hard copy of it in time because I didn't think about it in time. <laughs> At Caring Community Church, it is our vision to create a Christ-centered, family-focused environment where people of all ages are invited, welcomed, and challenged to live out a passionate love relationship with God. And my question for you is, is that what we want to be for the next five or ten years too? Or is it something more than that? Is it different than that? But this is the place where we have to start because this is our history. So what are we going to be for the next five years? Because the LBA is going to be coming and asking each and every one of you for your input into that. What do we need to be for the next five to ten years? And we're going to take it a couple steps farther. We not only want to get at that vision, we want to get at a better defined mission in terms of, uh, and, and the core values in terms of how, how we're going to accomplish this better than we ever did it before. Because God isn't calling us to sit still. He never does. I know that. He's, he's never allowed me to sit still in my life. Four or five years ago, I thought I was getting too old to do anything. And that's when the pastor reminded me of Caleb. He said, you remember Caleb? I said, oh yeah, one of my heroes. <laughs> How old was he when he volunteered to take on fighting the giants in the mountains? 85. And I was only about 75 then. So we're not allowed to sit still. God doesn't allow that. We serve until we go home. So with that, would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you've given us, Lord, for this opportunity to, to, to discuss and hear about secession planning and what's coming for our church in the coming months. Lord, it's my prayer that, that you be in everyone's heart and in their mind and help them to understand that, that we must, as a congregation, pray together. Lord, we must be working together. The unity of the church must be to find one single definition of what our core values our vision, our mission is so that we can go out and find a match and a new pastor. Lord, that's not an easy task, but we know with you helping us, 
it will be a seamless task. We will flow through this just as you want us to. Lord, we thank you for all that you do for us in Christ's holy name. Amen. Thank you.